today's Bible reading, which comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 4, 17. And then we're going to move on to Daniel 3, 16 to 18. But first, Exodus 3, 10 to 4, 17. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ask to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbour and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. 
Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. And now Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Sadrach, Mesach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. All right, now we're going to talk about that uh, great passage. And over the next perhaps uh, two or three weeks, we're going to have a look at a couple of aspects about Moses's life. All right, and I've called it this morning God's modus operandi, the normal or predictable way he operates. Is there anything wrong with that statement? Is there anything wrong with that as a title to a message? Anyone like to have a bit of a guess? Have a like, have anyone like to have a bit of a criticism of it right at the start? Not a criticism. <laughs> Normal and predictable. You've got it in one. Absolutely. As soon as you try to lock him into a box, you, he bursts out. You just can't keep him into a box like that. Nonetheless, I think you'll understand what we're talking about when we get going. And you'll you'll find that... I've tried to be a bit general in this normal and predictable stuff. Right, the first thing is this. You know that passage out of uh, James when James says Elijah was a man just like us? Isn't that amazing? Do you ever do you ever sit back and you think, "Oh, come on, hang on a minute. He was a bit he's not really like you and me." But could we actually say uh, Moses was a man just like us? Could we say that? I think sometimes we miss that. We sort of pump those blokes up to being something quite unique when really they're not too much different to you and me in a lot of ways it's just that they became obedient at that exact right time and God could use them because they were willing and available and and did a few things along those lines right 
We're going to look at some of this story and glean lessons from other parts of it. However, we're going to do 80 years in three seconds. And this is the way we're going to do it. As a baby, Moses was saved because from death because the Pharaoh decided to kill all the boys that were born. And these two lovely midwives decided not to kill Moses. And they put him in a basket. And if I, if I tell you too much, it'll take too long. And then from the Nile, he was, he was saved by Pharaoh's daughter and he was brought up as Pharaoh's son. And apparently, he became quite famous in that role. He became quite a, a general who, who led Egypt into many, many victories. That's extra biblical knowledge, but that's what they sort of think of him. Um, so at 40 years old, he visits some of his people, goes back to the, uh, the Israelites, and he kills one of these Egyptians who's, who's uh, doing them a hard time. And he thinks, oh, that's no good. I better head off out of here. I'll be, I'll be in strife if I get caught doing this. So he flees to the desert. He helps some girls water their flock. He meets Jethro, marries Jephora, and becomes a shepherd for 40 years. And then the burning bush changes everything. And boy, does it change everything. But that's really what happened. That's 80 years and 30 seconds. Right, we're going to look at the burning bush, and we're going to have a look at this record and see how it, uh, if it affects us in 2018 here. All right, the first thing, a couple of things that are really obvious, but we're really going to take a bit of a sideways look at this. This isn't going to be, because it's a well-known passage, and some of you all sort of studied a few, a few times, we're going to have a bit of a sideways path look at it, and really looking out, checking out God's modus operandi, understanding, of course, that if we nail him down too much, then we've missed him completely, okay? So... We understand that. You just can't put him in a box. You'll just burst out like, a, you know, trying to put six gallons of water in a small glass. It's just not possible. And even the six gallons of water is too much. Righto. But the first one is this one. And this is really important for us. We've got to understand this. God nearly always uses people to achieve his purposes and carry out his plans. And he doesn't often do a Sodom and Gomorrah or a flood but there's a few others, but he's really using people that he's been pe preparing along the lines, and that's really one of the ways he operates all the time. And so here he is picking Moses out and using him as a fellow who is possible. Why didn't God just deliver his people? Why didn't he do it immediately? Why did he wait so long? Why does it, you know, is he limited in some way along those lines? God doesn't, he tells Moses, this is not going to be easy. Pharaoh needs a mighty hand to compel him. So why does God work within those human behavior limits? Why Pharaoh? Why Hitler? Why Adiamin? Well, we've got to keep, and I've said this a few times, but it's really worth remembering, and we come back to this time and time again. We need to remember this. There's a couple of, probably more verses in the Bible than this than you, you know, you, that I'm just going to quote. But the one is, Oh, the depth of riches of wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable is judgment in his paths beyond tracing out, and he quotes something from Job here. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. In fact, my ways are much higher than your ways. My thoughts are much higher than yours. All right, so we need to sort of keep that in mind very much so. You know, what the way God thinks about things, totally different the way we think about things. He hasn't really, he hasn't promoted me into his advisor at the moment. And so I just have to be relaxed and ready with that. I'm sure it's coming. It's got to be coming, but it just hasn't come just yet. So, so that's along the lines. But looking at Scripture, we really do become quite confident of this that that using people is one part of the way, the Lord's fairly normal and predictable behaviour, the way He operates, and He calls us into those sort of circumstances. Now, clearly, 
God, when God chooses a man, Moses, he's happy enough with this fellow for 80 years. In fact, he's been preparing him without Moses particularly knowing it. Okay, he's been going along six, 80 years here, preparing Moses for the task that he's got. Moses really doesn't know about it, but God is at work even when we can't see it. And the truth is we rarely see it. In fact, I was sitting there thinking this, that I've got a mate over in Ballarat, a bloke called Paul Rogers, and it's just like, as likely that God would be saying this. Look at my son, Rich. You know, what a champion he is. See how well he's loved by the other men in the church. He's just wandering through life. He's honouring me. I can rely on him. And then on the 3rd of October, 2023, you better write that down, Rich, 2023, Reg is the perfect bloke to send to Ballarat so he can meet up with Paul Rogers, who really needs a friend at the moment. That's the sort of thing that God does. You know, that's the sort of thing. He, he's got Reg, he's preparing Reg along those lines, and suddenly he can call him into practice just when he needs him. That's the sort of thing that God does, and this is the sort of thing that we're working with at the moment. That's what we're sort of trying to say. There's his second modus operandi, the th second thing you can almost certainly predict that God's involved in is this. Moses wanders through life for 80 years. He's just going about his business. The, God, the day that God speaks is just like any other day. He's just doing what he's done. He's been shepherding Jethro's sheep as he's done for 14,600 other days. Now, it might not be quite that long because he probably got a little into it. But even so, Around about 15,000 days he goes out and looks after the sheep and he goes out the next day and looks after the sheep. He just goes about his business and then out of the blue, whew, he gets hit with this, this uh, experience with God that changes everything. Wow, just out of the blue. Well, he thinks it's out of the blue, but in fact God's been preparing for this for that period of time, so it's not quite out of the blue. But that's really so often the way God works, isn't it? No hint of warning, premonitions, special insights, uh, speaks to ordinary people in ordinary ways and suddenly says this is the way walk in it you know and that's a little quote out of Isaiah that was a prophecy that I had at one stage over me this is the, God will say this is the way walk ye in it. And, it and it has been proven to be the case now there's a gentle warning with this and, I, and a delight in a be ready and an expectation that, that sounds a bit too intense because what I wanted to do as I, as I talked about this I thought you, you can't really the people who get too intense with this they miss it because they're too intense they're too they're looking for it and they're seeking it and they're seeking it so diligently or so passionately that you miss it and in fact in some ways i think you've got to just relax and go about your business and if it put one foot after the other one and just make it work that way that's the seems to be the way there's always worked with us you just can't seek it too intensely expect it too intensely but you can prepare all right there's a couple of ways of preparing. There's probably two levels. Well, as soon as I said that, there's more than two levels. There's 22 levels. There's, there's 44 levels. But these are the sorts of ones. You've got to be ready by just doing the simple things in life. You know, give that man 100 bucks. Forgive your wife. Write to the paper. Ring Norm. Speak to Graham. Sing wholeheartedly. Pick up your clothes. You're just crafting a life of readiness. That sort of thing. I looked at that and I wrote in a couple of those. Ring Norm was one. I, Norm is a fellow who started being a pastor of a church in Warwick Nabil when he was 70. How about that? That's remarkable, isn't it? So he started when he was 70. And he looks at me and says, oh, what are you doing? You're crazy. And so I actually had to ring Norm. The other one was, um, write to the paper. Could you just give me a show of hands here of people who have written to the paper? Have you? 
as a protest about, can you remember what it was about? How often would you have done it? Really? Good on you. Good on you. I mean, she, she's expressing all our thoughts with regard to that, isn't she? <laughs> Insurance ads. Well, we had, I've only ever written to the paper twice, and I don't really like the idea of doing it that much, in all honesty, but one was a strong prompting when we lived in Coryong, and the bottom pub was importing a strip show to have in the town, okay? Well, we're at the bottom pub. So the bottom pub had, and they, all of these advertisements were going on, and these um, were going on. And in fact, I didn't really want to write and say something strongly against it. I had a very, very strong impression that I should have written and said, if you think this is wrong, fellas, you're not alone. That's what I was wanting to say. That's what I'm wanting to say. And so I read some, I can't even remember exactly what I read, but it would have been something along these lines. If you're slightly unsettled about this adult entertainment in your town and don't see it as all that positive, then I'm writing to assure you that you're not alone, that I think that way too. I want you to say, if you want to actually honour your wives and family, and that's the sort of thing you want to promote in the, fam in the town, you are not alone. I think that way too. And I wrote that to the paper. Something along those lines, in the Corion Courier. Now, it's just so happened that the Corion Courier fella was a part of the Corion Football Club, who I'd had a lot to do with at that stage, and so they printed it, and the feedback was really very positive. The show wasn't all that successful, but it did go on but it didn't come back again in the hall the time we were there. So isn't it amazing? You get those sort of promptings, and in fact, it's really being obedient to some of the promptings that you get, I think, that makes the big difference. All right, so we just craft a life of readiness, live doing what God puts in front of you. You take a step by step by step, doing all of those sorts of things in a relaxed but deliberate way. You know, you know what you want to do to honour God. You do it that way. And so we are ready for the biggies. But really, in all honesty, you, there is no biggies. They're all biggies. Everything that you do, whether it's small or big, is biggie. And, but in this case, lead Israel out of Egypt. So God comes to... Can you imagine me in this situation? So you've got the burning bush and God says to Moses, Well, Moses, I just, I've just come to tell you that I'm going to send you to Egypt to, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. What? What? Isn't that amazing? That is a... I mean, no wonder, wonder he didn't have a heart attack. My goodness. No wonder he had to take his shoes off because he would have just melted from the bottom up, wouldn't he? That is a huge one. Anointed to become king of Israel, but so with David. I mean, he just uh, sat there and thought, well, I'd really like David's response to that because it's, he almost said, all right, so that's happened, but I'm not going to do too much to make that happen. You've got to bring that about. I do like that. I do like that sort of impression I get with David. And so David never became the king for many, many years after that, and God actually brought it about. But even the little ones are the biggies, really. We'll leave it there for the minute because we'll talk more about that in a minute. God's third modus operandi, the thing that he does, he gives us those experiences that change our lives and the lives of others forever. You know, there's be things in your life that has changed your life forever and you are not the same person now simply because something has happened way back then. All right, now, um, these burning bush experiences, these life markers, they, they, you can almost say that in 1978 something happened and I refer things to 
whether it happened before 1978 or after 1978. And we actually went on a mission in 1978 to Tonga. It was just fantastic. And it was probably the first time in my life that I could measure things either before Tonga or after Tonga. It was really quite an interesting time. But Damascus Road experiences, the butterfly effect and chaos theory. Now, I'm just going to go into a little bit of physics here so that, you know, I've, I've got a physics um, person in the, in the room for the first time. We just, you know, we're just uh, quite intelligent, aren't we, really? So... All right, now, when, when we're talking about these, though, the butterfly effect from chaos. Have you ever heard of chaos theory? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit the way Richmond play footy at the moment. It's chaotic, and in fact, so chaotic, no one knows what's going on, and they sort of works. But chaos theory is this. Um, it's a term coined, metaphorical, well, no, all right, let's not worry about that. The butterfly effect is this. He's saying in chaos theory that you just do not know why a tornado exists and it could easily exist because two or three years earlier or two or three weeks or months earlier, a butterfly flapped his wings over here. And that small disturbance in the atmosphere became something else over here, something else over here and ended up as a tornado over here. That's what his theory is very interesting theory and really worthwhile looking at and thinking about but you can understand the very little things sometimes have huge effects down the track and in fact if we are beaten to those little things you just do not know of the huge effect down the track I couldn't find this but someone in here will know who was it who was the great evangelist who sat under the stairs listening to three or four people in a church and ended up becoming converted, a young kid sitting under a stairway, shouldn't have even been at church and got converted and ended up going and affecting thousands of lives. Anyone know that story? It just might be one I made up. I don't know. I'm sure it is. I couldn't find it. I didn't know where it went. All right, but, but really, you know, those sort of experiences make such a difference to our lives and we are never, ever the same again. And in fact, I, we all have them. And in fact... I'm, it wouldn't take much to find and pull out one or two in, in this uh, congregation. You'd all have them and they'd be things that were quite amazing. We've had lots of them I, and I wanted to talk to you about a couple of them. Um, Call the Corrion, reading Brian Booth's books, listening to speak of Foster and Curry. I, I don't want to tell you all these stories. I really want to tell you the last one. But reading Brian Booth's book, we went on holidays once and we were on a, um, a houseboat up in Mildura. And I'd read Brian Booth's book which was called Booth to Bat. Now he was a cricketer who happened to captain Victoria at one stage and I got this strong, strong impression that I should go home and ring him and ask him to come to Coryong and put on a sportsman's dinner. Now I thought, how am I going to find Brian Booth for goodness sake? How would you start? Where would you start finding Brian Booth? Isn't that funny? That's exactly what I did. And I rang him up and I said, could I speak to Brian Booth? Oh yeah, that's speaking. How about that? And so he'd come to Koryong, and in fact, he had this. We had this magnificent dinner, this magnificent sportsman dinner, and you just don't know where that went. You know, it was fantastic. We were in Foster Tuncurry again on holidays. Often this happens when you relax. I tell you what, there's a lot in that. If you stop and relax, a lot of the times that's when God speaks to you most. And we were sitting in there in the Foster Curry Baptist Church and the bloke was talking about storing up riches in heaven and I got this strong, strong impression that we should go home and open a Christmas appeal in order to dig wells in the Philippines. 
Isn't that amazing? It was that clear. So we went home and talked a bit about it, opened this uh, appeal for the wells in the Philippines, and we got the money just like that. It just seemed to roll in. It was almost one of those God-ordained times. And so over the next two or three years, there's uh, been two or three wells formed for little sort of uh, you know, communities in the Philippines and out of our money. And you just don't know where that goes, do you? You just don't know how that happens. Best story of all was this bloke's, and I better, I'm going to change his name because it just is a chance that you might know this fellow. All right, so I called him Will. We, we, we grew up with him in Corrigan. Well, not grew up with him, but he was in our church in Corrigan for a while because he came along with mum and dad. And he was there, and we'd, miss, we'd lost track with him for completely. But the other day, Mark and I were in the um, IGA at Mount Clear, a little, little small IGA, and we went to walk past this fellow, and here he is. He said, oh, g'day, you're Tom's I busk him, aren't you? And, and you're Mark. And it was this fella, it was this Will, and and was really lovely to see him again. And it turns out he's a stone's throw from our house. We, if we got, a, if we had a decent sort of slingshot, we could hit it at the roof of his house. That's how that's how close he was. And and he was saying to us that we didn't sort of spend too much time talking with one another. But as it turned out, Anne and I, after we retired, we went to a few different churches, and we were sitting in one church. And blow me down, here's Will, two seats back. And he stopped and had a yarn to us. And he said, you know, after I met you and saw Mark on, on Facebook, chased Mark up on Facebook, he said, I got this strong impression I had to find a church again. And so, and fancy us turning up in the same church in this big church and we were just sitting up one side. And so we had them around for tea and he told us this great, great story. This is, oh, it almost makes you sort of a bit emotional really, but with this fellow, it was really quite, quite amazing. He went his own way and he started living with this fantastic chick. She was a lovely, lovely girl. They weren't married, but she got pregnant. And so they worked out that they, because of um, abortion being, you know, becoming and becoming quite an accepted sort of a thing, and, you know, it was legal and a very real possibility, it was accepted and all that sort of stuff, they decided because they were young and they hadn't sort of got going, that's the way they would go. Now, he is a telecom technician and I can see him doing this. He was in one of those, you know, those cement sort of columns that are a bit like that for telecom. He said he was out in the, in the paddock, he had that cement thing off the top, and he was sitting there and he said, oh, I'm just, I'm just not settled about that. So he started to pray. For the first time, for a long time, he started to pray and he said, Lord, the only thing I can think of here is that I'm not settled with this in the least and would you change my wife or my girlfriend's mind about this? And he said, I can still remember the dry, crackly grass around this telecom thing that I was just kneeling in this dry, crackling grass talking, talking to God. And he said he didn't think too much more of it about that. He was just so unsettled by it. And he went home and his wife, his girlfriend, said, I've got to talk to you about something. I've just got to talk to you about something. He said, I'm not happy about this. We're just not, we're not going to go through with it. We have to have this baby. And so this gorgeous little girl who, when we knew about her, when she was only a little tot like Isla, that's when we first saw her. So she's walking around as a result of this butterfly effect. And who knows where she's going to go? So they've just made a decision to honour God rather than go, go along their lines. And that was what they were doing, to honour God. And he was going, when we found him in this church, he was going looking for churches because she knew 
that um, the truth of it is she knew that that was the right path to go. She was totally unchurched, never had anything to do with church, but she said, you go and find us a church and we'll start attending to it, you know, along those lines. I found that an amazing story because of the fact that those, that family will never be the same again because of that decision they made. And there's a lot of those sorts of decisions that we make along those lines that, that you know, you affect not only your life, but the life of others, in this case, very, very truly a life of others. Sorry about getting a bit emotional about that, but it was lovely. God reward, his, his fourth modus operandi is this, that he loves and he, re, he rewards faith. He, in fact, the very, very best thing that he likes about, about us as people is if we've got faith. There's no question about this. I relate more to Moses than to God in this stage. Fear, lack of hap, lack, happy with the current situation, job just too big way outside of my comfort zone and I'd be inclined to say you want me to go to Israel and, or go to Egypt and lead Israel out of, uh, out of bondage oh please, please, please send someone else, don't send me I'm just not up to it really in any way at all, I just in fact can't do it at all, but you see this amazing growth of faith with Moses is every argument resolved, I am snakes, leprosy, blood, staff he gets to know it's God and he's almost backed into a corner and then I reckon there's a change takes place. He absolutely is perfectly, absolutely certain that this is God speaking and there's nothing he can do about it. Now, this is what happens. Moses thinks and he says this sort of stuff. He says, who am I? Now, you and I would be doing this. Okay, this is something for you and me. This is our arguments. We would say these sorts of things. But who am I to go and do that? And, and what am I going to say? and I won't be believed and in fact the whole story is that I can't speak anyway I get I stumble over my words and I don't know what I'm you know I'm not very articulate no good at all and then God says this I'm going to be with you I am sent me I will give you miraculous signs I'll help you speak and teach you what to say and that is a promise for us as well if God sends us somewhere then you can guarantee he'll be with us um, you can say that God sent me I'll give you miraculous signs and I'll help you, teach you what to say. Now, this I am sent me, this is just a bit of an aside, okay? I read this somewhere and I went looking for it and I couldn't, I'm not even sure whether this is exactly one, but it was written by Helen Malachot and I thought if it's written by Helen, it's got to be good. Isn't that right? That's true, isn't it? In fact, I don't think I've ever been in a place where regularly we gather and there's two Helens there anyway. So. Helen came into it, but she, but she wrote this little, little poem. She said, when you live in the past with all its mistakes and regrets, it's hard because I'm not there. My name is not, I was. And when you live in the future with its problems and fears, it's hard because I'm not there either. My name is not, I will be. So my name is not, I was. My name is not, I will be. But when you live in the moment, it is not hard because I am here. My name is, I am. And I reckon that in so many ways, just even from what we've already said this morning, that that's really important. We're not talking about how good it was in the past. We don't want to look at this Baptist church and say, oh, it was back in the 60s. We had, you know, 600 people here and it was fantastic. And we don't want to look too far in the head and say in 2020s we're going to be, a, again, a thriving church. You know, we've got to do it here and now. And God is working with us here and now. This is the whole story of that. And so, but I'm sure, sure that God will be with us. I am, he is here, here and now. Miraculous signs happen and even as we sort of talk about, we know there's a little bit of that going on 
and he helps us to say what we need to say. And his, his fifth one, modus operandi number five, he walks us through things rather than removes us from things. Now, at this stage, when you say God's modus operandi, you'd agree with those are fairly predictable things so far that we've been able to say. This is the fifth one. I reckon this is one of the things we really need to know, that God takes us through things rather than removing us from things or things from us. And so often you see that. Every now and again, he will do the removal from us or remove us from situations. That might happen every now and again, but it is not his general modus operandi. Most of the time, we have to walk through things rather than have them removed. And for with benefit of hindsight here, he's taken out of taken to Egypt through the plagues, the Red Sea, the Promised Land, manna and choir, 40 years in the desert, um, and God's beside him all the time. You know, he's there and he's walking with him through all sorts of things, the highs and lows, the terror, the, the whinging and complaining from the Israelites, all of those sorts of things. God is with him, but he goes through it rather than takes him out of it. Those, that's a classic scripture about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, you've heard of that plenty of times. And the Lord walked them through the flames rather than removed them from it. And they, we see those three amazing levels of faith expressed first of all the faith in the ability of god to save them secondly confidence in the willingness of god to deliver them and thirdly this but if not acceptance of the sovereignty of god that's what they say you know they say that they say god will you know he's got we trust now god who can save us and we trust that he's willing to save us and then but if not well truth is he's still sovereign and we're not going to change that now i reckon you and I, was, we, we're only here because we're Christians. And most of the time, most of the time we've had something to do with God. And therefore, the first one, the ability of God to save us, that's not a problem. We understand that, don't we? We understand, because we understand a little bit about God, then we know that his ability is endless and he can do anything to us. Whether we're as confident in the willingness of God to save us, that's another thing that sort of we probably need to grow a bit in, don't we? The willingness of God. And, but if not, the acceptance of God being sovereign, well, we have a fair bit of practice in that, and I think we probably end up having that reasonably well nailed as well. But the willingness one sometimes messes us up. I reckon he, th those blokes would probably add a fourth one to this, though, and maybe in retrospect they might come the next time and they'd say, our God can do anything. He's willing, he's sovereign, um, and he will walk through us with anything you or he places in front of us he'd put that in as well you know that'd be the fourth thing that they'd say you know maybe he won't take us out of it he's got the ability to take us out of it he's got the willingness to take us out of it but he might just walk us through it and it's just that lovely picture all right let's go through god's modus operandi we can confidently expect these things from god first of all he uses crackpots like you and me and that is amazing i mean the fact is that he, will, he calls on you at random times and in fact he wants to use you and me to do all sorts of different things. He's at work in us, preparing us even when we don't know about it. You know, we go through all sorts of things and down the track, funnily enough, God can use it. Really weird sort of stuff. Often interrupts our days seemingly randomly. You know, we're doing it, we're going along just happily and suddenly get disturbed and everything turns over simply because God interrupts us and randomly sort of calls on our name gives us experiences we're never the same again 
rewards faith even inside of the mustard seed you know he rewards that faith once we get to that stage of knowing that we know that we know God's involved in this then we can walk really confidently and that's wonderful and he walks with us through things rather than removing us from them or them from us all right we're going to stop there we're going to pray about it because they're the sorts of things in fact we just want to almost summarize that in a prayer that we sort of invite God to do some of those things I was look that prayer that ocean song I was going to ask Steve something that ocean song said what did I write down Annabelle I wrote down this that um, trust without borders and then it went on and said other words in there that I thought if I could have written down quickly I would have liked to write them down quickly that's a dangerous song to sing did you did you think that when you were singing because we were saying God take me to the place where my trust is without borders Ooh, where my feet without on dangerous ground and all of those sorts of things that's what they were saying and I was thinking oh do I really want to sing this do you really want to sing this? I mean, that's a good question, isn't it? Do you really want to get to that stage? Do you want to be taken to that spot? Do you want to be in a position where there's a burning bush and God calls you into all sorts of territory where really you just say, please, please send someone else. That's not for me. Do we want to go there? And secondly, can I pray for us as Wanger at a Baptist church to invite God to take us there? let me do that let me do that enough of your nodded heads to say let's do it enough of your nodded heads to say that all right let's do it lord i just uh i know that at the end of this we look at moses and think we relate to moses more in being a little bit scared about we what you're asking of him until such time and he knows that he knows that it's you that is calling him and so, Lord, I would like to pray for us, all of us here, um, for the Wangaratta Baptist Church, that we would get to that position where we'd love to invite you to take us anywhere that you would like to, you know. It uses in any way, even if it means that it's way beyond our comfort zone, that we would still nonetheless detect that it is you that is calling us and therefore be willing to walk with you that you'd take us through things we know that it wouldn't be always easy that you wouldn't remove us from the hard times or take the hard times off us that every now and again we just have to walk through with you and just grow our confidence in you and grow our faith in you but we just want to be available more than anything else and we pray that in jesus name amen <laughs>